And welcome, everybody, to episode 15 of Digesting Cinema with Aaron and Christina. I'm your host, Aaron, and as always, I'm here with my fellow host, Christina, and we are here to break down a Best Picture winner this week, and we have a best guest as well, and that is <laughs> Scott Harvey Esquire's uh, Some Like It's Scott podcast on all podcast platforms. We'll mention that right up top. Also does Champs Lunch over on Featured Presentation Productions, so shout out to both of those how are you doing scott good i'm happy to be here with that pressure now of having to be the, the best guest but you know if i'm not then i will just say that i was the oscar definition of best right because that's not always the best right the what the oscars <laughs> call the best is often you know not quite there but maybe today's movie maybe it falls in that camp or maybe it actually was the best so stay tuned to find out yeah and that movie, by the way, is Slumdog Millionaire, directed by Danny Boyle, 2009 Best Picture winner, released in 2008. And then over to my fellow host, Christina, how are you doing? It's weird. I actually was out and about a little bit this weekend. I got to visit my friend and her baby. We went out to lunch. I also took a trip to the mall, which was like a very strange thing. Like I haven't been to the malls in like years, I'm not even talking like the pandemic years. And it was like 1998 in there. Like I had no idea what the clothes were and I felt very uncomfortable and I cannot believe some of these styles are coming back and I'm very afraid because I even tried on a pair of mom jeans. They were literally called mom jeans. Like that was the brand, the style, but I did not commit and now I can't decide if I regret that or not. And that's where I am. That's how my weekend wow. Well, you know, I mean, it's good to be getting back out into the wild and hopefully more and more of those stories can start happening for people as we're getting closer to actually it being safe to maybe return to that. Yeah. Slumdog Millionaire. I had not seen this movie coming into coming into this and it was just kind of one of those movies that I just had assumed like I don't know. I don't know why I hadn't seen it, but did you have a reason Christina why you hadn't yet to see Slumdog Millionaire or I've started it more than once, but I don't think I've ever like sat down. and was like, you know what? I feel like watching Slumdog Millionaire. It was one of those things where like, oh, like I'm just chilling in my room and like it happens to be the movie that's on next. And I always get to the part where like he jumps into the shit and then like I just never finished it. But I but today when I watched it, I did include subtitles, which I feel like was really necessary because I, some parts like the score just gets so loud. So mm -hmm. I think that kind of got me out of it in the past where like if I'm just watching it like on cable or on HBO, like I'm not you know, when did this movie come out? You know, I, we didn't have like Netflix and streaming where I could just do the subtitles real quick. So I think that's why I just like never totally got into it. So I'm glad today I sat down and just watched the movie. Yeah. And uh, Scott, we disclosed on the podcast last week that you wanted to do Spotlight, but it's just been a movie both of us had seen. Great I was movie. I shut down. Yeah. <laughs> we, we rejected you like good hosts. Um, and we said, do what we want. Like, you know, a little kid. But definitely go see Spotlight, everybody, if you haven't seen Spotlight. I'd love to hear Scott's thoughts on that at some point. But Slumdog Millionaire, you had seen Slumdog Millionaire before. How did you kind of feel going into... First of all, how did you feel the first time you kind of went into a movie? Did you see it when it was released originally? Or did you see it late and then on the rewatch? Yeah, I saw the movie probably over 10 years ago. Probably in, in 2010 or so. It, it had been out for a while. It had won the Oscar by the time that I actually watched it. But I watched it you know pretty early on and this was actually a, a milestone movie for me in a way this was the first movie i ever cried in strangely enough so i'll uh, tell you what part it is i mean it's 
it, it may be easily guessable, but that was like a big deal to me at the time because I was like, you know, a, what, like 15 years old or something at, at that point when I watched the movie and like, you know, I'm trying to be all like, I'm a high school dude, you know, like, you don't, <laughs> you don't cry in movies, but this one, this one got me for some reason. And of course now I cry in movies all the time. So I'm, right. I'm a softy, but this movie did mark that milestone, like I said. So, I, but I've not seen it in many years. I mean, I may have rewatched it once since then, but it had been many years. So when you guys suggested this, I was like, yeah, sure. No, this, this would be something interesting to rewatch to see if it holds up for me the way it did, you know, all those years ago, because I did like it quite a lot when I watched it back in the day, but that was way before I, you know, got into movies, whatever that phrase means. Yeah. When I was going into this movie, I was expecting it to be just super wish fulfillment, happy and like not depressing at all so that was definitely immediately kind of extinguished christina do you want to give us a little synopsis before we kind of dive into a little bit of the story which is, does go back and forth so i get an excuse today yeah it does go back and forth so basically the movie is about a mumbai teenager reflects on his life after being accused of cheating on the indian version of who wants to be a millionaire yeah, I just known that basic premise coming in and it jumps right into it with kind of the question of how did he know the answer and it ends up highlighting D it was written. So I think right away it kind of, I don't, I don't think this movie tries to hide from like early on that it is a fairy tale. And I don't think like no one, none of you disagree that this isn't just a complete fairy tale, right? Like some of the questions, like the 20 million Ruby question was like who the third musketeer yeah. is. Like, it's obviously like people just know that it's not the, and so it's a, it's not to be taken literal from the beginning. I, I got that right away. I don't know about you, Christina. Did I don't you think I would use the word fairy tale to describe this movie. I think it would. I I always enjoyed the premise of this movie of just you know some people know stuff and then some people have like very specific reasons as to why they remember and know things. And I always thought that was fascinating. And I know like I I've used that playing movie trivia. I've used it playing bar trivia where it's like I know this because like I remember where I was when Janet Jackson's boob was right, right. And I know exactly. So I know what year that was. And like you have like this random story as to why you know the answer to that question. So I always thought the general premise was always interesting, but no, I didn't, I would not describe this as a fairy tale. I would have described it as predictable, maybe. No, no, no. See, like, I knew you were getting, and that's like taking this and that's like, we'll jump back into Scott. Just, I knew this was going to come up with Christina right away. So I wanted to kind of <laughs> discuss it offhand right away. I, I agree with Christina on what she was just saying that like on, on the surface, it might like seem really weird like that he's getting all these questions about like the, you know a huge coincidence right that all these questions keep coming up about like these things is like but like that's kind of how trivia is in a way and it's kind of how how uh, christina was explaining i mean we're of course we're all trivia people and like yeah you know yes we get we gain some stuff by studying sure that's part of it but you know a lot of the movie knowledge that we have is just from living our lives and being fans of movies and those sort of facts just stick because you know it's just part of our our lives whatever so i think it's actually a more realistic portrayal of like how people know they the things that they do in the context of trivia at least than maybe you might think just from hearing no, the no, no. Concept I, I, I agree with that read on i agree with that side on things as well <laughs> and i'll just be pointing these out as we get to them in the plot as well i mean this is just taking these realistic elements and taking them to a fantastical element for jamal himself and you know to get 
you know, the girl by the end. Spoiler alerts for all these podcasts. But, like, to get with the girl at the end. And it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get on a show and find the, the love of my life's going to see me on this show as I'm on there. And like, Well, of course, because he knew that she watched it. And, of course, he got yeah. on the show because it's just easy to get on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire as a 19-year-old. He knew the way to get on it. Oh, you- of course he knew the way to get on it. It's just, like, it's just a way of all. I mean. No, the yeah. whole movie the whole movie is not supposed to be a fairy tale. It's supposed to be these like series of coincidences and the way things work in your life to get you from point A to point B. That's how we like work sometimes. Sometimes just weird stuff happens to the same person. Oh, trust me. I, I'm very aware of weird stuff happening to the same person as, you know, weird stuff has happened to this same person, you know, to get to here. But let's jump into the plot a little bit. We'll just, you know, we'll sidebar this conversation. We have, you know, a lawyer on today, so we have to make it a little more of a courtroom, I guess. Like, I don't, I feel like I subconsciously let these guests affect me uh, <laughs> i deal with that five days a week so you guys do whatever you want yeah, he's just, he's outside like, he, the courtroom on a sunday yeah. yeah i saw scott relax even more as we start arguing. <laughs> like he's just like oh i'm home let's kind of jump into the story here first of all one element i really liked about the story was how the characters are separated into the three ages i just think that's a classic mark of like really really high quality films uh right away i thought of moonlight uh, i know I moonlight came out say, after yeah. but you know a24 i have to make my a24 another best here. picture winning film too and it yeah so i'm glad i hadn't saw slumdog millionaire before i saw moonlight because i would have been kind of and i know there's movies that did this before moonlight but i would have kind of been that person who was like oh Slumdog Millionaire did this Moonlight, therefore I'm going to like not. I feel like several movies have done this where they play, have different actors play different ages. But so well, like I feel like oh, these yeah, two movies well. are two of the best to have each age do it so well for each of the char- main characters. Like, oh, so you don't like how like in Little Women we were supposed to believe that Florence Pugh like never aged? Okay, like, no, you people? cannot bring me on the show and then try <laughs> to put some shade on Little Women because I will log off. Uh, Little Women <laughs> is excellent. But at least in the 1994 version, they changed actresses because people <laughs> aged up. <laughs> Sorry, I'd rather have the God-level actress, Florence Pugh, on screen for as much time as possible than bringing some child actor into the... Kirsten Dunst. That's just me. Wasn't... She, she didn't yeah, do I mean, look, I like the 94 version, too. The thing is, you know, obviously, I would have been fine seeing Frida Pinto as all three versions as well, but... I think that instead, Danny. Also, before we get a little more into this, I was really worried about this movie being done by Danny Boyle, even though I love Danny Boyle as a director. I was just like, I thought it was a weird, a white guy taking an Indian story and, you know, really taking a lot of elements of Bollywood. I'm Let me just make this disclaimer right up above. I've seen like three Bollywood movies in my lifetime. I've heard some people describe Bollywood to me. I think I understand some concepts of it. I am by no means an expert or even a novice on Bollywood. But I feel like this was kind of Danny Boyle trying to do his take on a Bollywood film. And I just, you know, I feel like a couple of weeks ago we had Malcolm X, which they're talking about Norman Jewison doing it before Spike Lee took it. And thank God Spike Lee took that movie uh, over. I know this isn't quite the same, but like, was that any- in anybody else's mind or concern with this movie? And then we can jump a little back more into the plot. Or into the plot. I'll be honest, like this this kind of conversation does come up, you know, on movies fairly often. As long as the person is willing to put in the research and consult with people of 
the nationality, race, whatever it is, gender that they are depicting on screen, um, as long as they're willing to put in the extra work, you know, with the understanding that they do not come with the same, you know, knowledge and experience as someone who has actually lived these things would. I think it's fine for a white director to, to take it on. Yeah. Uh, again, it, as long as he's willing to put in the, the time and effort. And I honestly, I think Danny Boyle's direction is one of the strongest elements of the movie. So, I, you know, it's one of its eight Oscars. I, th- I, think, his, I think his style really, uh, fit well with the setting of India and just the kinetic environment that he was trying to portray. That's, I mean, that's what Danny Boyle, I think, is very good at depicting in his films. There was a co-director on this movie for the Indian actors, particularly, I think, the children, and it was Loveline Tandon. So it's a female Indian director as well. So she was, and he did do a ton of research on that. So that's more something that I guess was just a concern of mine and something that honestly, probably subconsciously kept me from like seeking this out above other movies was in case it did feel that way to me i really kind of i think that's just like the trouble with hollywood also is like unfortunately like you need like the white male name to like have your movie taken seriously in the mainstream world like 10 yeah movies. i mean this was the, their, like mo so i how many bollywood I, movies had won a best picture or right, even like indian stories movie, other than gandhi right this and it's, it works considered and it works the same way with the actors too like i feel like looking at Dev patel after this movie you should be like you, i mean naturally you'd be like oh this guy is probably a movie star now right after this movie 13 years ago because he's great he's not and there's really the only reason that he's not is you know what we're talking about because he's not white I'm glad like we were able to kind of bring that up and address that and just I think it is a shame Dev Patel is absolutely Frida Pinto as well yeah they obviously became a real couple after this and uh shout out for Melissa a couple weeks ago for picking this with her first pick on fantasy film flights for a couple I hadn't seen this movie yet that we had already decided we were going to be watching this Christina and I so like made me that much and yeah this is what an incredible couple and you know as a hopeless romantic myself the story of like getting on a game show to get your girl's attention and like <laughs> man that seems like my <laughs> most likely route to success I was gonna say that's definitely <laughs> you would do. I'm right there with you, yeah. <laughs> I, I was actually thinking the opposite of like, man, I don't think Anthony loves me this much to like <laughs> track me down several times and mm-hmm. then like go on a show that he knows I watch to get my attention. I think he'd be like, well, it's over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely would for even the non-real person in my imagination. But <laughs> anyways, uh, enough of my sad uh, neuroses. Hopping into the movie now because I don't think we've even started it. Like it gets right into a torture scene, and we don't know at the time, but it ends up being revealed to be the police. I think Danny Boyle, without saying it, because he was doing actual research in India and everything, like basically saying these people are dirty cops for sure. They're using like super crazy torture techniques to figure out how this kid who's 19 years old was able to get all these questions right on a game show. And like right away, it's just like this is like the difference between like here like where it's like rosie perez like cheats on like the new york marathon and becomes like famous and goes on talk shows and like doesn't nothing really happens to her she definitely doesn't get tortured like here he's suspect of cheating and he gets tortured for it right like like, the punishment would be like you don't get the money we're gonna torture you into confessing (laughs) well there was a real there's a real cheating scandal as well that happened on uh who wants to be a millionaire in the uk i don't know if y'all have ever heard about the coughing major scandal but I mean, I won't I won't go that far into it, but, you know, you can look it up and 
basically this guy had his friend sit behind in the audience the and guy? cough with, yeah. on what the correct answer was. And, you know, mm-hmm. the guy won or whatever. But I don't exactly know what the consequences ended up being for that. But, yeah, I was the UK. I'm sure it was something like he lost his money and, you know, he could never go on a game show again. Funny enough, that. like, I think the cop, yeah, I think the cops even bring that up when they're torturing him. They're like, what was it? Someone coughing? Was it a pager? Like, they just. Bring oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And like, it's just like it, so definitely a nod to that for sure. And right away with Jamal played by Dev Patel, fantastically, by the way, by Dev Patel. And he absolutely should be a star after this. I went on to watch Lion also this week, which was a great movie. And I recommend it to everybody as well. But yeah, he just establishes his integrity so early on because he's just not willing to like tell them what they want to hear to get out of the torture. Like it's very important to him to identify that he does know the answers because he knew them. And like, or I think at one point he says like, I wish I didn't know the answer to this question. Like, yeah. it's just like super heartbreaking. Like really how he knows most of the answers. It's just like, Our I mean, it's terrible situations. Yeah. And it's paired up with this like super colorful world at points and this high vibrancy, like high energy music and like the game show, like mirrored with like these real life dire circumstances, his mom dying. I mean, just like pretty much as rough of a life as you can have for Jamal. And like, so I, I guess it mirrors our version of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, where it starts off pretty relatively easy. You know, when we used to, wa- I used to watch it with back when Regis was the host. Like the first five questions are basically like anybody know the answer to that. So the first one was like, you know, who is like the action star in this movie, which is like so funny to see it because then the kid, the little boy that played Jamal, the young one, he was yeah. the cutest. Like you just want to sque- squeeze his cheeks, cute, and he's like taking a crap and i love it how he's like oh it's a shy one like already there's like potty humor in this so like i was in because i'm a three-year-old when it comes to (laughs) but yeah you see him literally like covered in crap like run to go like get this autograph and i was like that's what i loved about this movie is like these like random ass things that are gonna happen like why he knows the answer but then he was also like he's the most famous man in india like literally everyone should know this like i don't know why you're if you're gonna question why i know things like this is not the one you should be questioning me on this is a little bit why i just feel like the details aren't supposed to be taken literally i just i i don't know like well, I, I think the aftermath of all of that because you get they kind of tell you why he knew the answer to the question and then like the movie still continues yeah. so, so like part of me was like so i kind of thought the whole point of this was we're gonna go question by question and then like we'll see why but then like we would know why he figured out the question and then like that part would just keep continuing yeah it was a really fantastic like the direction, the editing, both winning Oscars and the cinematography, all rightfully winning Oscars. I would I haven't gone through every movie, but like it is expertly done in that way. And I just think the way it's formatted is really, really brilliant. And I'm glad it didn't go as simply as like, next question. How did you know that? Next right. question. Like that would be. And I think that's too. some of the Danny Boyle influence right there. Cause I just yeah. feel like the way that he portrays the environment and the quick cutting and all of that stuff, those are like sort of hallmarks. Like there, <laughs> there are certain moments in the movie, like when they jump off the train, and like the slow-mo sort of shot of them like rolling like we see them as they're like rolling down the head like that is just such a Danny Boyle like moment mm-hmm. in the movie right and then he ages like them that. too like as they're yeah. as they're uh-huh. rolling. it's really great and uh I mean shout out to that celebrity for signing that picture when he was just covered right. in shit. Like, yeah the point of that really was to introduce you to the fact that Salim deep down was not 
was not a good person because he immediately takes the autograph that he knew was so important to his brother and sells it. So really the whole part of that was for you to set up that there's some dynamic between Jamal and his older brother and that you're kind of setting up his older brother to not really be a good person. Yeah. And Salim, it's just, yeah, Salim is definitely an interesting character and his arc is, you know, pretty tragic Uh, just because he mentions, I think even as a young, as young Salim, he mentions he never was able to like be the innocent one or something to that effect. I believe when he's talking to Jamal and explaining like why he is the way he is. So it is like, yeah, he wasn't a great kid, but I don't know if he was ever afforded the luxury of becoming a good kid because of the circumstance he was in. Yeah, we don't really know that much about their like backstory with their family because they mm-hmm. die early on. The right, yeah, I don't even think we ever were introduced to the to the father. Which mm-hmm. is another Disney fairy tale hallmark, the mother dying. I mean, yeah. It's like yeah. In all of Disney movies, their mothers are bludgeoned to death due to religious reasons. And this was essentially what happened to the mother in Some Dog Millionaire. So we're told, I think. That was when he said that he wished he didn't know the answer to that question. Yeah. He knew the answer because that's where his mother died. I found it interesting, the question that he used Ask the Audience for, because... That just shows like the disparity and like the education and just how, you know, a poor kid wouldn't get this information because he probably never really went to school. Like he probably went to school a couple times a week and not that that school would have ever noticed because those kids were literally crammed in there. So it just kind of shows what they were like, you know, but you had to ask the audience for this. Like this is, you know, my five-year-old daughter knows the answer to this. Like everyone should know this. Right. And that's all feeding into the police. Yeah. And why they're like, well, yeah, he would never know this because look you know, he has to be cheating. Right. Because he doesn't know this. It's like asking an American mm-hmm. citizen, like, what does it say on the, on every piece of currency that we have that it says in God, we trust. And like, you, you know, you don't know that. Yeah. Did you think it was strange that they asked the question about who was on the U S $100 bill, like in a, on an Indian game show? Like, is that something that, you know, you'd be expected to know necessarily. Like if they asked me who was on the right. thousand rupee bill or something like I would have no idea. Yeah. I mean, this is like, again, (laughs) I just, I stopped paying attention to the details of the questions. And then especially when the 20 million rupee question, when they're like, no one's ever made this far is name the third musketeer. But you you know that's coming, right? right. You act like they get the same set of questions every time. No, no, but I'm saying like that wouldn't ever be like more than like a thousand rupee level question. That is just like not a, that's not a five pointer in the Schmodown language. Uh, that's just like, that'd be like who directed E.T. as a five pointer. So it's just like, no, no, like there's again. I, that's why I just didn't focus on those details as my that was my viewing experience. I, I just I felt it was way of Jamal, you know, having his fairy tale kind of ending and, you know, like having fate play such a role in his entire life. Kind of. You let, do you, Aaron. Let it, yeah, let fate happen. I'm not falling on your fairy tale thing. I'm at not all. asking you to. I'm not doing it. I'm right. over you coming up with these absurd theories, and then we're all supposed to just be like, "That's oh my god, Aaron researched this." And like, what that? hey, the Blair Witch theory was good though. Thank you. Oh my god, please check out that episode if you haven't yet. Blair Witch Project episode 2.5 episode. I've but I'm just saying, Casino, back to you. 
All right. So then afterwards, we eventually, unfortunately, his mom does get murdered. Salim, you know, he says he's the elder now. And then they meet uh, Latika out in the rain and Jamal befriends her. And then what they think is a great thing that's happening because they get picked up and they're taken to this orphanage and they're being fed and they're playing with other children. And they're like, this is amazing. Only to find out that these men that took them are these horrible, horrible people that are using them to, you know, get money from others, essentially being beggars on the street and then are torturing these children to make their story seem more tragic. And I don't really want to talk about the next part, but if somebody else wants to do, they can, because that was horrifying. Yeah, I'll go ahead and do it. I don't think what you texted me was correct, though, because we saw him later in the movie and his eyeballs were still there. I think they were were just burned. I don't think they were scooped out. I thought they scooped out the eyeballs, but something is done with the eyeballs of all the children who could actually sing to make their stories that much more tragic. So like, there's oh, did whole... Salim say he was going to scoop his eyeballs out to maybe. Jamal? Like he was going to scoop your eyeballs maybe out? Maybe that's what he said. That, yeah. Something is done to blind these children. Yeah, yeah. Some way. it's They're not blind. that important what it was. Yeah. Not sure if the it, eyes wasn't, are it wasn't very polite. Okay, thank you, <laughs> thank you, Christina, for revealing our private messages that I told you wrong information. In. <laughs> well, uh, no, the kid came in later. We saw him later in the movie, and his eyeballs were still there. You're right, Christina. I'm wrong. <laughs> so brought me to reminded me of kind of just Pan's Labyrinth and just the like general and how the general is willing to hurt children. And this guy kind of reminded me a lot of that bad guy in some ways, like the head of the orphanage was like essentially just a general. And it brings us to when Jamal is being marched there to sing for him. And it's just like setting up this hugely dramatic moment. And then again, like in Pan's Labyrinth, the sibling has to make a decision whether to follow orders or save their sibling. And again, the sibling chooses to save their sibling. Oh, why is that Aaron? Oh, because it's instinct, right? Yeah. Okay. It's instinct, and I would hope I would do that for Zach. <laughs> you would because it's instinct. <laughs> it's it's amazing how much I go against instincts at some points. But Salim does make a good decision here in saving his brother from kind of blinding or further whatever they were going to do. Yeah, whatever torture he was going to do for being a shitty singer. So that's good. Anybody have thoughts on that kind of whole dramatic element? Obviously, he wasn't going to die there, but just the thoughts of Salim having a moment of uh, brevity as a character, I guess you could say. I mean, yeah, yeah, I think he's a complex character. Like you guys were saying, he's a bad person. And I mean, yeah, there are things that he does that are bad for sure but there are also things that he does that are are good and i think the the final notes for this uh character of the movie you know i mean we're getting there eventually but he they try to redeem him a little bit in the end i think so you know even though he suffers a tragic end the final decision that leads to him sort of suffering the tragic end is a good decision and so i appreciate the complexity again the you know moral ambiguity that is sort of portrayed through through this character and his relationship with jamal and sort of I guess how his priorities change over time. Yeah. Yeah. I think he act I think he did what he did too because Jamal was so excited to go. Like he was like, This is where I'm gonna become a man. Like this is, you know, he saw it as an honor and, and you know, Salim was like, No, this is not what's happening. And then they run for it and then Latika gets left behind. They don't they don't bring her. Well, that's yeah, well, I mean Salim, let's go over here. As in, yeah, Salim bitched out, didn't take her. Yeah, he lets go of her hand in like what happens to Latika or implied what happens to her over the next few years is not very kosher not great and it's just like salim just like scar letting go of mufasa's hand again like i don't mean to keep bringing up like but it really was just like they showed him 
let go of the hand, like no and it's just like the whole time you saw him brewing, right as soon as Jamal invited Latika underneath the hut, which there's no reason to not to invite her in. Like there was right. plenty of room. It was just raining and like you just saw him right away simmering like about him having that connection to her. And like there's always a jealousy that he had with her and like that. It's like well, keeps he, had, he had no interest in being the three musketeers with her. And I think that's a major, obviously this is a major theme of the movie where we are referenced the three musketeers several times throughout the movie in the very beginning when they're at school, you know, the teacher only yells at them the first two names, the two of them kind of like feel a connection to that, like they're the two musketeers. And then, you know, he wanted them to be or Jamal wanted the three of them to be the three musketeers. And that's even mentioned on that train that they don't know who the third musketeer is. Mm-hmm. Which I'm does sure they, is your favorite part. Does anybody know the Three Musketeers? Has anybody read that? I've never read the book, so no. I wouldn't. Do have I know what their names the are? Like, do you like know the general story of the Three Musketeers? I don't even know the general story of the. Three I mean, uh, I know their names. I, I think maybe I read it once a long time ago, but no. I mean, it's it's gone okay. out of my memory. Not, yeah. So, like, I don't think that was that important to know that either. I'm not saying that this was a mirror of that or anything. Is there anything we want to cover on the children side of? things before uh, all all three of the children performances were great latika's young performance also she was so adorable and really really like great in her role as well i think they all really held their own so they start hustling on the trains which is like the other part of this is like as much as Celine was kind of like a huge dirtbag he was very good at hustling people <laughs> so yes. like he honed these skills as like a nine-year-old to just mm-hmm. hustle people while they're traveling like train to train to train and they eventually get and the uh, during the train sequence, they age up. They eventually get to the Taj Mahal and they didn't know what it was, which again, like blows my mind. And it just shows you one, how big this country is. And then just how like, I mean, and there were people everywhere. Like you, like India is the second most populated country on this planet. And it's just like everywhere they went, they were just surrounded by all of these people. And it's just, some of these people just live in these areas where information just doesn't get to them. And for them to not know the Taj Mahal, which what I think would be one of the most famous buildings in that country, like blew my mind. Without being too heavy handed, just statements on class differences in this in India and like adding to further the narrative of why they would doubt how this kid who doesn't even know you don't even know what the Taj Mahal is. That's like you don't know what the White House is. Right. Like, and, and it's like there probably are some people to this day who still don't like I don't want to sound like but it's just like I'm sure there are some people in some areas of the country who don't know what the White House is or looks like or something like you know it's just like right. or where it is just like things that we just so take for granted just as common knowledge whatever it is so it, I mean it's it just does a really good job of further hammering that point home well just yeah just the just to bring everybody even what's happening in this country where you see all the disparities in education depending on where you live and you know like I, I live in New Jersey and there's towns in in New Jersey that have so much money that are these kids are getting an excellent education and then there's 20 minutes away in the same state where kids are not getting the same quality of education because they don't have as much money so I mean it's you know expand that countrywide yeah Yeah. but it's still like an astonishing thing to think of that they were like what is this like Mm -hmm. bro haven't you seen Aladdin like it looks just like that probably not they probably haven't seen Aladdin they do get some nice satire though of the tourists as well who of course are pretty clueless about the Taj Mahal themselves also the fact that you're like grown American people like let me just take a tour from this this little boy like standing next to the sign yeah. Right. I would never think to go to a foreign country and be like, oh, let me just get this 12 year old to take me on a tour of this. Like, take all my money, kid. <laughs> like, what? Right. 
I also thought it was like, I mean, obviously, again, it's like a culture difference of just like how much the adults were just willing to beat the crap out of children in any circumstance. Yeah. Uh, yeah obviously, like that doesn't happen over here. Nope. Not yet. We're getting there, though. Don't worry. Slow and steady. Grim. But yeah, we. I mean, I feel like with their, the middle age, I feel like wasn't like super, they weren't really like there for long, except isn't this when we find Latika again? Do we know how he finds Latika though? Oh no, because he finds the kid. That's what happens. Okay. So yeah. the questions that we start getting into on who wants to be a millionaire is the who's on the $100 bill. And then we start to get into who invented the revolver. So then you get into the, the storyline that Jamal traveled on trains, they do their Taj Mahal tours. And now Jamal decides, you know what, I need to go back and we need to find Latika. So he and Salim um, are working in restaurants and he's like, I'm going back i'm gonna go find her and then they find he finds the boy that was blinded and hands him the hundred dollar bill the little boy tells him that it was benjamin franklin and the little boy tells him where to find latika latika is it she says latika he said latika or latika and i was like okay and again you know this i think if we're taking this as this is supposed to be happening literally in real life like oh that's very convenient that you just find like the blind person who's going to give you this knowledge and then point you in the right direction of the girl like it you know, makes sense though because he destiny. grew up with these people and knew where their corner was just destiny it's just destiny i think um, it makes total sense if i worked at a place for a really long time and then left and then came back and the, pe- the same people still work there they would still be there right well maybe life's a fairy tale christina i'm not saying that they're mutually exclusive All right keep we'll keep going do you want to talk about what happens next? Am I not doing a good enough job for no, you? No, no, no. You're, you're, you're doing the best job. You want me to make it fairy tale esque? Oh, no, and no. then we find Latika and she looks like Princess Jasmine dancing. Like, how do you want me to paint this picture for you? <laughs> no, I, I think you're doing a great job. You're uh, firing on all, all cylinders okay. at that 45. All right. So we. I, I think it's pretty obvious what happens to the girls in this orphanage. Um, they are now used for sex trafficking, sex slavery. Mm-hmm. It was implied, though, that she was still a virgin. So hopefully it never really got to a point where, you know, a grown man did touch her. But obviously she was on display. People were were willing to still buy her. And that's when Jamal and Salim, you know, bust into the room. And once the the original kidnapper came in, I guess to call him a kidnapper. What was his name? Ma- Mon, Mondon, Ma- Mon something. Maman, I think. Maman, yeah. Salim brings out, pulls out a gun and, yep. you know, tries to, you know, robs them. And then eventually, and personally, I think does the right thing, shoots the guy in the head. I was all for that. I was definitely okay with that move. Yeah, because, I mean. It- you know, he's an evil person. He sells children and hurts them. So he doesn't get to live any longer in my book. But this is where it kind of reminds me of Juice in a little bit of a way, if I am to refer to another, is that <laughs> after he shoots him, then all of a sudden he wants kind of the power comes from the person he shoots and the authority. And he starts to make these like kind of heartbreaking decisions towards Jamal, like established dominance and everything like that. So, I mean, it's a little bit murky as to why he exactly shot him, if it was for the right reasons or not. I think he shot him for the right reasons, but I think once he got that taste of power, he realized he liked it. Like, I don't think his vision was power. Because it spirals into, you know, something else now that he basically ends up on the other side of this turf war and, you know. Right. It's almost, like killing is never the right, it's almost like killing and murder is never the right move. Yeah. Except he dies with the gun in his hand. I mean, what more do you need right there? 
But I think that's the last of them in their mid-years. I think after that, they age up to be, I guess, the adult versions. They're all 19, but the adult versions of them. And then we see Dev Patel working at the call center. And I mean, he's all about just finding this girl. Like, seriously, does, like, what is this? I don't like, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like anybody this much. I'm so glad that, like, when he does, like, the name search for her, just for her first name, Latika, that it comes up with, like, a billion results. Because I feel like you see that type of stuff in movies all the time where they Google the most, like, basic name. And, like, it it goes immediately to the person that they're looking for. No. But, no, this is actually a realistic moment of, like, well, this is probably a really common name. He didn't know her last name, which I I thought that was fascinating. Like, you're enamored with this person. You guys have been through... Like terrible situations. This is all part of the fairy tale, Aaron, that he didn't ever knew her last. Is this like Cinderella? Do you know what Princess Jasmine's last name is? If he (laughs) only knew her full name, he would have found her sooner. What is your theory, Aaron? (laughs) I don't have a theory. I'm just enjoying listening to you guys talk about the realistic elements of this movie. Yeah, I agree. I thought I'd like people this much in my past and then realized I didn't. Uh, But... I just think that it's a beautifully romantic story throughout. And Jamal is a from young Jamal, the middle Jamal, the uh, 19 year old Jamal. He's, you know, still young enough to be this hopeless romantic where everything still revolves around the girl. I can't imagine he's been around too many other uh, girls, especially who look like Lactica. So, yeah, I mean, I think the romance really is one of the things that really works about the movie. And, you know, the part that did did get me the first time I watched it was there at the end. Them in the, you know, train station. I know we're jumping ahead a little bit, but that is, you know, uh, an emotional moment because I think they do a good job of, you know, establishing the relationship throughout and you are invested in their romance. Yeah. Meet me at the VT station at five. Like, just let's just. I'm going to be there every day at five. No, I, do, I would I would do that. I, or I'd stay there and try to do that for somebody. Maybe yeah. if it was on my way home, you know, I just yeah. just sit there for five minutes and then, you know, get my train back home. Every day. Just, I mean, surely for, you know, the passive aggressive guilt alone, I'd do it. Because as a Jew, <laughs> uh, you know how we like our passive aggressive guilt. And there's our uh, reference to me being a Jew for the episode for Christina. Uh, back you. to you. All right. I would think the next notable part of this is that we... He eventually does find Latika as an adult and she's like living in a millionaire's home and is essentially Princess Jasmine. Is that what you're going with? She's just like a princess trapped in like a like Well, a, she's living with the crime boss, right? That right. like that Salim is, you know, she is. in with. Is she yeah. still and she's still a virgin too, right? How about Scott tells us what actually happens and then Aaron can tell us his weird <laughs> Disney interpretation. Because the last time we see them together, Salim kicks Jamal out of the hotel and he stays with Latika and then gets involved with this rival gang and obviously uses her as his way in. I don't. I wish people could see the face Aaron's making in me right now because I don't. Know to, I don't know what to say next. <laughs> I'm just listening. Uh, I thought you said Scott was going to say what was happening, and then yeah, I was going to do my interpretation. What happens yeah. is, yeah, is, he, he, meets, he meets up with Latika, um, and she is now with Javed, who is the crime boss, and they're at the house. And this is when he discovers that she watches Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, and he's like, "Hey, uh, you know, maybe I can go on that show." And yeah, so so he does. And yeah, I don't know how far we want to go ahead at this point. He, yeah. he had a co-worker that also wanted to be on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Right. And they talked about how to get on the show. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Who <laughs> Wants to Be a Millionaire was a big deal. Like, I, I can't, of course, speak to the Indian version. But like, you know, you mentioned the Regis 
filming her. Like when that first started out, I remember when that yeah. first started out. Yeah, like, everyone watched everyone that. Everyone watched Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Like it was a phenomenal. The first, the first winner who called his dad after using no lifelines yep. and yes. million dollar question. He's like, hey, dad, I'm about to. I remember watching. You know what that guy's name him. was? I, I, John his, Carpenter, right? John Carpenter, yeah. 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 Oh, my God. The name always sticks that? with you. Yeah. <laughs> but how, I mean, how do we know does... that? Let's go back in Aaron's life and find out how he knew that the answer to that question <laughs> Before was drugs, I was like eight years old, uh, innocent. Michael Jordan had just won his like sixth title. Yeah. Uh, he was going to the Wizards at this point. I didn't understand how depressing that was as a kid. So, yeah, it was just a, it was a simpler we time. Need some, we need A.R. Rachman music now to just start. Yeah, it but it definitely tracks with as it gets towards the end and the whole public reaction to him going for the 20 million rupees. Like, I believe that's how they really would react to that, especially with the story of this kid. It's like, I remember like in the early 2000s, like we got excited about a 13 year old kid who ended up not being 13 from the Bronx being good at Little League Baseball. So like, it's yeah. like Danny Almonte, like this is like, you know, that kind well, of that story. that was a little like, can of worms there, It's like, but. yeah, I, but like this pre-internet being what it is now where like everybody was so self where people could get just wrapped around something like a game show. I really buy that. Also, I think that's really clever with the formatting of how they bring him to the police station in between, you know, when the episodes like right. would continue. And so you do end up catching up with how it starts so at first i was like oh they're telling us everything like but we don't know and that brings yeah, us that right. the the police station, station. he still has one question left which so is just like such per- it's such perfect formatting and storytelling like what a perfect setup for a story like can we talk about anil kapoor's character here for a moment the host of the game show because yeah, uh, i have some issues with this character like at least in the in the third act that we're kind of talking about here i think his performance is really good i don't understand why he is necessarily out to get jamal like that the only thing that they seem to imply is is kind of that like he's concerned that this kid is stealing the spotlight from him or something like that you know the show is supposed to be all about him but you know presumably he's hosted the show for a while he's had other contestants who did well like i'm guessing i don't know if he tried to actively sabotage all of them but it just seems like his motivations aren't really clear as to why he tries to screw over jamal and why jamal well i mean i guess i kind of get maybe jamal looks at like this rich game show host whatever when he gets to that question and he's like oh these people have screwed me my whole life so i'm guessing he's trying to screw me again he didn't give me the correct answer but i don't know i didn't feel like that character's final decisions necessarily made a ton of sense well, yeah, because if you're a game show host and somebody's about to make history on your show, wouldn't you, you would want get, that? Yeah. Right, your ratings would skyrocket. Wouldn't you only get more popular? So, like, it didn't make sense because he kept saying, like, you know, like, I believe in you and then, like, wrote the quote unquote answer on the mirror mm-hmm. for him to see. So, Aaron, what are you thinking under the face you're making? Uh, I mean, it's almost as if Jamal is writing a fairy tale about how he met the woman of his dreams and won the million dollars against all odds. Right down to the end with the game show host turning into like a villain from a storybook, but just in game show host form where he's like, you will not win. And even earlier earlier in the movie, he's like, oh, you just work at a call center? Like he's literally going to ridicule this guy on television as there are fairy tale elements to the story but i think you might be using that uh theory to iron over some of the flaws that are also in the movie that might be it as well Uh, i definitely isn't it's definitely a way of interpreting the movie in a more forgiving way for sure um but yeah i mean 
it, it is kind of weird how this game show host hates him more and more as this goes on. And then they torture him, but they're still like, all right, we're going to let you play. Like, Why you just they believe him ultimately. Yeah, I think like eventually. That, yeah. Well, I mean, he confessed to like crimes. So they're like, mm-hmm. Why yeah, are you like, at one point it's just like, imagine if like John Carpenter was in between his episodes and like they torture, he like comes back the next day, he's got like little gash. He's like, Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, damn, you look like you've been electrocuted to death. Right. Regis beat me up in the bathroom. Yeah, Regis, and then he gave me the wrong answer. It does set up an um, incredible moment where he has to. He has the 50-50, which is just like, oh, man, this is perfect. 50-50, select the B and D. And you know what's going to happen, but it is like, yeah, I mean, there's some good And by the way, by the way, the question was like the most centuries, which I don't know what centuries are. I'm guessing that's like home runs in cricket, though. Yeah, I think so. So essentially it's saying, did you know that Barry Bonds hit the most home runs? And this is for this question that no one's supposed to know. Yeah. And it's like these two guys. And like, I don't know enough about cricket, but I bet that's an easy cricket question. I I think it wasn't. It was Australian cricket. It was the Australian league, but, they, but in India they follow like both yeah. those leagues because I, I uh, Ryan, so um, I but. do. I don't like though. Again, it's it, if we're gonna say say something that's not realistic. When he says the answer, or whatever, and and Anil Kapoor is like, "Are you sure? Like, are you sure it's not again? Again, liberties taken. There are these liberties like, so D, not B. Yeah, if." Watching this, I'd be like, "What the hell, man?" That's what I was saying. That's what I'm saying. This is through Jamal's eyes the whole time, and this is just like a way of Jamal and the people revolving around Jamal. Maybe that do have tragic, tragic circumstances, like his mother. His mother probably just died in childbirth or something. And I know that's really taking But yeah, it's just like, I mean, and then he develops a story that his mother died in, a, you know, this fighting up the uprise because she's a hero and the father just disappeared somewhere. So it's like, it doesn't even matter him. And Salim dies in a pile of money spectacularly as he's winning the 20 million. Ru- it's like, okay. Oh, everything crescendos at the, what a, what a dramatic moment. Well, it's, before it's that moment, we had the most predictable part of the entire movie which yes. is he's on the final question and it's who is the third musketeer and he doesn't know the answer and he phones a friend and he calls his brother the only phone number and look at the I longest hear. ring in the world right. of rings and he hears it from I don't know, yards away and runs over to the ringing cell phone and answers it just in time and they're all looking up. They're like, oh, we're about to cut it off. We're, we're- okay. Let me tell you, though, this is my problem with this part of the movie. And this is something that ever since the first time I watched the movie, even when I was like a lot younger and didn't like criticize movies or whatever, I was like, hmm, I don't know how I feel about that. And I still feel the same. I kind of don't like that he gets the answer right. Um, <laughs> that, Aaron, that almost kind of plays into your fairy tale element a little Thank bit. You. I will give you that. But like, to me, it's like, okay, he's called Latigo, right? Like, she it's clear that they're going to probably meet up, whatever. It, everything's going to be OK because she's escaped. Mm-hmm. The money doesn't matter to him anymore. Like, that's not the reason that he went on the show. He doesn't exactly. care about the money. Thank he you. wants to be with her. And now he can do that. So, like, why have him like, sure, it's nice. I mean, I, I want it for the guy. He's a nice guy. <laughs> right. It, it's great that he wins the money. But it just feels like they could have it would have been a more interesting choice in the movie if 
they had chosen to have him miss the final question and not give you like the full extent of the happy and Hollywood ending, right? Like you're still going to get obviously them meeting up at the train station and that's fine. Cause I think that's a really good moment, but like, I, I don't know. I think I, I would have been, I would have liked it even more. I think if they had not gone that direction with him yeah. guessing the right answer. Yeah. It confuses. I think a lot of the impactful themes and issues, the movie's trying to, you know, transcribe the entire movie and kind of muddles it at the end is like, okay, so it isn't important, but it also kind of is. And if you can have it and have both, that's, that's real way to, it, it muddles the muddles, the really impactful themes of the movie, but it's a fairy tale. This is how happy ever after. Christina is just distraught that I've won over our guests with my theory. No, you've not won me over. Again, I I think there are some (laughs) some places in the movie where that theory does not work. But I do do see what you're saying on this. And maybe this is a Bollywood thing, right? Like maybe this is like something that happens in Bollywood movies. Like I I feel, you know, they're known they always end with a musical number. So like I imagine a lot of them probably have like happy endings. But Yeah, and so – and. Uh, is there anything else we want to cover before the musical element, Christina? Um, is there any, anybody have any last thoughts on Salim? I feel like we didn't really talk about him that much as he got older. I don't really have anything to say because I thought he was a pretty crappy person. So Yeah, like, what did you think of his like uh, kind of ending moments? I mean, I was like, okay. It was predictable it. that he would right. get a redeeming moment. Right. And, yeah, like, well, like, and it's, it's kind of a bookend to what we were talking about earlier, right? Because earlier like the first time where they're in a difficult situation really with like this these criminals he chooses to to help jamal right he chooses to you know get jamal to escape well he finds himself in a similar situation here at the end sort of where he has to choose between like this you know staying with this criminal lifestyle or whatever or helping his brother out and he says you know what i'm gonna help jamal out i'm gonna let latika go and you know that give her my car and all this stuff and so maybe yeah i think they are trying to redeem him it may or may not work, but I think by putting that, those two scenes as like the sort of the start and end of their relationship as depicted in the movie in a way, um, I think they're trying to say, well, his brother meant something to him all along. Mm-hmm. He, they, all play, they all play their role in his storybook that is life. Oh, so Enough. Like when he gave her the car, it was really her pumpkin carriage. Is that what you're implying here? <laughs> Go ahead and uh, you know stretch out my theory to try and discredit me, Christina. But we all so, know it's, we all know it's happening here. At the very end, they reunite and they kiss for the first time, oh and God, so uh, and then they lived happily ever after. And to be honest, the dancing, my favorite part of the whole movie. So yeah, it's I was gorgeous. there for it. It's great music. Um, great music throughout. Like yeah. definitely kind of has aged a little bit. It's a little bit like this is very mid 2000s like MIA. Yes, that's era. when that song came on, it kind of pulled me out a little but bit. That's not <laughs> this movie did it before Primal Express and everywhere. Like it's not this movie's fault that it got dragged into like Pepsi commercials. Yeah. And, like like yeah. that like you have to separate. We wanted to hear this song. When this movie came out, we wanted to hear that song. Like but now it, it's not this movie's fault. I actually enjoyed it more when they sang it a little bit later in the movie and it wasn't MIA's version. It was a cover. Yeah. It was like, I liked that better because I immediately thought, right. and I immediately thought of pineapple express and I was like, these kids like, and it just makes me think of like when I was in college and like everybody's just like getting wasted and 
I was like, what are we doing right now? Like, what is happening? Like, uh, okay, I bet they're hustling, but like, okay. Yeah. Like, they were talking about being on top of trains as they're like hanging on, top <laughs> on of trains. Yeah. yeah. They were literally, I was like, oh, this is very literal, but okay. <laughs> yeah. A, a couple of times is spot on. Yeah. So that is a slumdog millionaire. <laughs> I got to admit, that's much more of a, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but much more of a kind of negative overall view of this movie. I was expecting this to be like really happy, uh, kind of like going into the movie. I like the movie, I do. <laughs> this, this, this conversation, I love, this has happened a few times on this podcast now, where the conversation has really mirrored the movie in a lot of ways. And this <laughs> conversation very much did mirror the movie. Uh, it fit the tone of the movie. It was. I feel it, like this conversation was a fairy tale. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like this whole podcast has been a fairy tale i mean i just went on a feature presentation one day and there was christina and i was like i'm gonna podcast with her one day and here we are 15 weeks into our podcast here you saw each other yard. across the recording studio you know? i said i'm gonna be in the stream yard every day at 11 <laughs> <laughs> and here she, she showed up just keep uh, entering StreamYard links until you find me. All right. Now I'm going to lead everyone in a rendition of Jaiho. <laughs> and video podcast. We have reached the end of Slumdog Millionaire. Thank God for Christina. Because without her, I don't think we would have ever started talking or gotten anywhere into the movie. Because, yeah, I just don't know what I'd do without her. And without Tony. Uh, I'll say that as well because he gets upset when I don't bring him up. Uh, and Scott, our guest, our best guest, uh, proving my point correct uh, from the beginning. Uh, we now get into Tucky Jacoby. Yeah, exactly. So every every week I've forgotten last week's guest. So next week with Raul, expect me to say something similar. Anyways, we're going to get into the rating section of the podcast. We do this just like Letterbox out of five stars. Uh, we will uh, mix it up here, and we're going to start with our guest. And uh, out of five stars, half stars are allowed. Scott, your rating for Slumdog Millionaire. Look, maybe it did come off as a little bit more negative just because I think it's not quite as interesting to just say, oh, this part was great and this was good mm -hmm. and all this stuff was good that everyone knows is good. So, But I give this maybe four out of five. It's not as good as um, how I remembered it from you know many years ago. But the movie really works. I think the relationships between the characters, Jamal and Salim, Jamal and Latika, um, I think that really works. And you know, I like the, the very ending. It's just those two couple... There's a couple of things, the game show host, his decision, and then, you know, what they do with the final question. But other than that, I think the movie works. So four out of five, but not the best picture of 2008. And what would that be for you? I, I, this maybe this probably doesn't sound like a uh, very Scott Harvey pick because it's a uh, fandom movie. But The Dark Knight was the best movie of 2008. Like, I'm sorry, it was. Okay, fair enough. I, I think that I... I, I would agree with that between that and this. Um, I mean, I'm not a fandom person either, but yeah. that is the movie of 2008, I think, and it was great. Christina, you're rating out five stars. Uh, I'm going to give this three and a half stars. Okay. I'm, uh, I'm not super into movies that are like very depressing all the time. Like it's just like bums me out to just see like children having like crappy living conditions and just, you know, just, I, it was like, dude, can the kid even like catch a break? And it was just like tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. And I was like, yo, this is really bumming me out. And honestly, I feel like it was a very one-sided love story. I feel like I would have actually liked to see them interact maybe more when they were younger because it kind of was like you knew he cared for her but you never really knew if it was reciprocated and then it was kind of like we're just kind of just going off of the fact that he's like saying that it's all about the girl when like I don't feel like maybe we were shown enough that it was all about the girl 
obviously they went through like tragic times together and it kind of reminds me and i know i'm comparing this great movie to like the hunger games of like where katniss felt drawn to Peta because they just went through crap together so it was kind of like is that I mean, it's, a, it's called a syndrome of some kind but it's in a lot right. of movies where it's just like horror like horrible things do not mean that you should be romantically with right. somebody and and i just feel like it's over yeah right they the ending was such this beautiful love story and i wish we would have maybe gotten a little bit more love story elements throughout the movie so three and a half for me so my rating for Slumdog Millionaire would also be a 3.5 out of 5 stars. I enjoyed this movie quite a bit. I was not expecting to have the same rating as Christina, so that's kind of a surprise to me. But yeah, I thought the cinematography, the technical elements of it were really, really great. It's not my favorite Danny Boyle movie, but I do enjoy it. I think there's some good elements of it. The ending, for sure, I just think would have definitely been more effective if he missed the question or made like kind of a dramatic statement about it or whatnot, since he already got the girl. But yeah, overall... Brings us to an average. I think we've had this on quite a few movies, at least one or two others. 3.66 repeating, rounded up to 3.7, uh, average 3.7 rating. So I think that's a pretty fair rating of this movie. And yeah, like we I, we were skewing a little negative because it's just a little more interesting to talk about kind of the element. But at the same point, I think we were able to point out kind of the reasons throughout why this is a movie worth seeing. I do think uh, the representation is nice to see out of the Oscars as well. So if for no other reason than that, I can forgive this for winning Best Picture and be okay with it. I do think that uh, it deserves a lot of the awards it won. And speaking of awards, we're on to from Best Picture to Palme d'Or. The Cannes Film Festival Best uh, Picture winner. And uh, we're having a good friend on, uh, the Nerdy Chicano, uh, also known as Raul Mendoza, a filmmaker, friend of mine, really just really great uh, individual, knows a lot about international cinema as well as, as, well as domestic. But uh, we're going with 1995 three-hour film about uh, Yugoslavia, uh, the black comedy Underground. And uh, yeah, we're going to have a rule guide us along on this journey. I'm not sure what to expect. Christina and I are going to do our best, but uh, you know, Raul is an absolutely brilliant guy. So I know that we're going to have a fantastic conversation about it regardless. And uh, I think a big part of this podcast at points should be to kind of spread our wings. So I hope at least a few of you will join us on that journey next week as we digest more foreign element in the 1995 black comedy the underground uh before we leave scott where can people find you i mentioned some like it's scott at the beginning but go ahead and uh plug away and where people can find you man yeah uh i'm at scarby dent uh, on twitter and letterbox you can follow me over there um also some like it's scott that aaron mentioned we're on all podcasting platforms spotify apple podcasts all that stuff uh, just type in some like it's scott every week uh we review a new movie we talk about movie news this week, we're going to be reviewing The Father, the final Best Picture nominee to be released. And, you know, we've got the Oscars and everything coming up. So exciting times. Uh, please check out Some Like It, Scott. We have a good time doing it. And Aaron's been on. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a great podcast. And uh, I highly recommend it to every, everybody out there. Billy P, you would love it when you're not listening to Digesting Cinema. <laughs> Your Billy P shout out for the day. Christina. 
Anything coming up for you? Or are you finally like living an actual life where you don't? I am almost living a real life where like I don't just associate with people on the internet. But if you guys do want to associate with me on the internet, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Christina underscore VEE19. And then you can check me out coming up very soon because um, I'm pretty sure Peggy's going to let me be on it on Fantasy Film Fights where we pick our favorite dance movies and I'm ready for it. And that's over on the feature presentations productions YouTube channel. If you are not subscribed, please do so. And then of course I have to plug that my faction mate Jacoby's match will be coming up in a few weeks on April 22nd at the Schmodown. So check that out also. Faction mate and quick of the dead uh, co-podcaster from last week. So check out that episode. If you haven't, you can find me over on Twitter at at Aaron J A Y Brooks. Half the time I'm talking cage fighting, half the time I'm talking movies. It's the same person, just my two obsessions. And then, yeah, definitely check out Featured Presentation. That's with a D at the end of Featured. So Featured Presentation Productions, Fancy Film Fights. Sign up for it if you haven't before. And if you're curious about how to do that, just message Christina or I. We've both been on a bunch. We'll be happy to guide you through it. Um, And yeah, thank you all for listening. And uh, keep digesting cinema out there and keep taking care of each other. Have a good one. Peace out, everybody. And keep digesting cinema. Keep digesting cinema.